All right, one of my favorite guys in Buffalo joins us now. Uh, he is a now. What is your what 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 is your are you a videographer? Is, are, a are, you, are you are you a video <laughs> journalist? What what That's are a great you? Great question. I actually I sort of enjoy the fact I don't have a title. I, <laughs> I guess I would be considered a freelance freelance uh, director, videographer, producer, however you want to call it. Um, I own my own company now. Thanks. Cody. Hey, all right. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's. Uh, it's a little fledgling one person company, but uh, filled the COVID void quite well. And yeah, so I just I, freelance videographer, director, probably the best way to put it. Cool. Uh, his name is Matt Gould and he has an incredible resume. And this is why I love talking to him because the guy, if he hasn't started writing a book, he should, or putting out a DVD or, I mean, that's his expertise because of all the life experiences you've had, aside from being um, a terrific dad and uh, husband, and you work very closely with your local high school with their drama department. Uh, that's and that's a whole separate thing for you that you absolutely love that people probably don't I'm know. I'm a project about. guy. I like projects. Yeah, yeah, projects. Well, listen. All right, Tim Allen. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, but but it's cool, man. And and so I'm just intrigued, and I, I think a lot of people watching Bull in the Basement in this episode will be intrigued to hear about a lot of your. Um, escapades if you will um but your your work work trips that you've taken over the years including your most recent one freelancing for nbc at the tokyo olympics so let's start yeah. there and trust me there's a lot we're going to talk about throughout the, this next half hour or so sure. um so tell me about now now do people come to you and say hey we want you do you apply for these kinds of things like how, how does this happen where you say we, you find out that you're going to go to Tokyo, Japan and cover the Olympics. Yeah. I think like anything in, in, in a lot of business, uh, we, you know, we joke sometimes about how much business happens. Uh, it's, uh, it's 25, 30 years of being in this business and getting to know people. And I uh, was in Tokyo. Uh, it's direct request. So you get to know a bunch of directors around, around the world and, um, those directors want to build a cast list, for lack of a better term, if you're using a theater term, of camera people that they would like uh, to have on their show, and they reach out to those guys and gals, and uh, happily, I'm on a few of those lists. So uh, for Tokyo, I've done plenty of work with NBC, with hockey over the years, specifically, a little bit of NASCAR. That wasn't my first Olympics. It was my second. I did the Winter Olympics in uh, Korea a few years ago. So um, with Tokyo, I actually bounced uh, from several different directors the way it worked out because when the Olympics got canceled in 2020, canceled, postponed, whatever, um, originally I was doing diving uh, with another friend of mine who was a director with NBC. Um, but over that year time, NBC had to totally restart how they wanted to approach these Olympics because of COVID. So as a result, they moved a lot of the directors around and Corey Numi, who was bringing me there for diving, he ended up getting switched to beach volleyball. So I ended up getting switched to beach volleyball. And then Corey ended up getting switched to running everything back in Stamford, Connecticut. Wow. All of their studios. So then, then I got requested to move over to track and field uh, with Chuck Danmeyer, who is also the director of the lead director of NBC Hockey and NASCAR. So uh, just relationships and guys moving parts around, you know, so, but being ending up on track and field and then eventually on opening and closing ceremonies uh, was pretty amazing. I even got a couple days of swimming in there. Uh, 
we had one guy uh, who had ended up having emergency surgery, uh, a camera operator, while oh, he was no. in Tokyo. So I fit, we had, we all kind of pitched in and filled in a few days at swimming for him. Yeah. So, it, you know, if you're going to pick some venues to work, track and field and swimming at a Summer Olympics, uh, I got pretty lucky. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Matt Gould's yeah. on with us on uh, this edition of uh, Bull in the Basement. Can I, maybe you don't know the answer to this, but my wife and I are watching beach volleyball and we said to each other, why are there, why are the women wearing bikinis? Like, know. wouldn't the sand kind of get in places that? I don't know. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm, I, you know, in the end, I love volleyball. I, I, I wanted to play it in high school. My high school didn't have a boys team though. Um, actually hung out and helped the girls team a little bit because I like volleyball so much, but um, I'm kind of glad I didn't work that event because it was so hot in Tokyo. Um, I guess it's, they just, you know, as little clothing as possible because it's so hot, but yeah. Uh, Sand in my camera and everything, uh, sand for equipment, television equipment isn't the best either. So no. in the end, I, I sort of lucked out with track and field, even though it was incredibly hot there too. Um, but that's a, that's a really good question that I can't answer. Like, yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. Sand. It, you it, see, I, I, it was, it was one team. I don't know if it was beach volleyball or not. Uh, that uh, it was a European team that decided to not wear the bikinis and they actually got in trouble for it for a little while. And it, it, it you know, come on if it's if it's not changing the performance you should be able to wear whatever you want to wear yeah but yes sand, sand in the crack of your camera lens is not great that's that's not no no i, I hear a lot of grinding terrible. going on terrible yeah. terrible yeah uh, and they also i remember watching uh one match when they were playing in the pouring rain i'm like oh, really <laughs> well wow. we did that in track and field too they I know the, did. the heats to the 400 meter women's hurdles and it was coming down pretty good uh they they probably let pole vault go on too long when this pole vault qualifying was that day too um but it did we lucked out we totally lucked out with the rain because it was really the only rain we had uh was that particular day uh during competition for us so but yeah i mean it's one of those things where you have a short window you got to get the events in i guess yeah for sure going. so let's let's back up then so you how early in advance of the olympics did you have to get there to kind of you know, feel your yep. way around and, and get your bearings and, you know, equipment ready to go and all that stuff. Everything's on a, like a overlapping basis. So I got there, uh, you know, in some cases a couple of weeks after some other people got there and already been setting up. Um, I got there in time where most of the cameras had been set up for opening ceremonies. Uh, I flew in, um, it's a 13 hour difference. So you basically lose a day flying, um, flew in. And then the next morning I was off to Olympic stadium for a full dress rehearsal for opening ceremony. So I, I landed right into it. And we had a couple of days where you kind of exhale a little bit, but it was a week of rehearsals leading into opening ceremonies. Opening ceremonies is a much bigger deal than closing ceremonies when it comes to that stuff. We had zero rehearsals for closing and just kind of flew by the seat of our pants. But um, yeah, there for a week. And then it takes almost a week to transition from opening ceremonies to track and field to get all that stuff peeled away, uh, the torch, the floor, the whole deal, uh, and get it ready for Olympic competition for track and field. So that was that window in between was the week that I spent a couple of days over at swimming and diving, which was really cool for me because all I had to do over there was the interview camera and it was right next to the pool. So during competition, I watched some amazing racing right in front of me, you know, and felt really lucky because, you know, the families of these athletes aren't even there. Yeah. And I'm standing there 
watching this competition. Um, I had a, a monitor on the front of my tripod. Um, her name is escaping me. Uh, the young lady from Alaska, Seward, Alaska, that won her breaststroke race. Mm. Uh, she came right over after a race, even before she got her gold medal uh, around her neck and did an interview with us. I was with Michelle Tafoya there doing the interviews and watched her family on the monitor on my tripod react to her race. And just being a part of that was really cool to be able to bring her family to her and her entire community of Seward, Alaska, celebrating in the gymnasium there. Um, so those few days of swimming were pretty neat because that was a little different experience than actually shooting competition. Um, but also listening to how they put that together. Joe Martin's the director of swimming. He also directs all of NBC golf. Um, so listening to him put that swimming event together uh, was interesting to me too, as a director. So uh, I'm always a student at this stuff too, as much as I enjoy working and being paid to be there. And it's as amazing as the opportunity is to be on a world stage like that. I'm always trying to learn while I'm there too. Wait, why not? Uh, and you know, again, yeah. my wife and I in watching swimming, we were like, can, can we not give the athletes like 30 seconds to catch their breath before they're doing the interviews? Because every one of them came over and they're like, <gasps> it'd be yeah. like me yeah. walking to the refrigerator. Right. I mean, they want, yeah, yeah, they want that immediate reaction. Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, I thought about that sometimes. I did all the field events at track and field. Um, and we're second in as NBC. We're not the primary feed because there's a world feed that happens. Uh, it's called OBS, the Olympic Broadcasting System. So they provide all the primary coverage. We add in our cameras from there. So if you're shooting uh, men's shot put, for example, with the two Americans that, that you know, the one American uh, that won gold there, I'm secondary in. So I've got a couple other camera guys I'm jockeying with. They have the primary look and I'm coming in to get my guy after that. Um, but they are right. I mean, in some cases, those cameras were this far away from these guys. And I'm like, he's not even qualified maybe just leave him alone for me you know right. I, I tend to like to use my I tend to like to use my lens and give the athlete a little bit of space but you're dealing with world media and everybody approaches it a different way um uh, we, it all looks really good on television and, and really was I guess if you think about it this was the first television only olympics Right. So they don't have to worry about fans being blocked. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff going on. There were no fans. So the, the way for people to see the Olympics was through television and that was it. So I guess they kind of approached it that way. But um, but yeah, they she was huffing and puffing coming over after her gold medal. Katie Ledecky came over after a, um, a qualifying race um, and just actually asked for a beat <laughs> before she did the interview, which they'll give them too. It's not just like you have to go right now. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's kind of like talking to coaches and hockey on a bench during a game. It's, it's a, almost more of a distraction than it is, but at least this is after the race. So. Right. So, so you did uh, primarily women's swimming. It sounds like. Uh, I did both. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they, they, they run, it's like clockwork. It's amazing. They, they go through heats and swimming way faster than they do in track and field, honestly. Uh, but they, they'll do a couple men's races followed by one or two women's races and they just roll right through it. Um, and then they do diving during the break in the afternoon. So I shot a couple of the 10 meter pairs uh, medal events for diving, um, which was really cool to watch too. It's, I, I, I can't imagine diving off a 10 meter platform, much less doing everything they do while they're diving off the meter platform. But yeah. I was going to say, do, do you stop? You, you can't because you're always working and you have an incredible responsibility. Like you said, it was a TV on the Olympics. So it's on you. Yeah. Right yeah. to get those perfect, great emotional. Listen, you, you, 
if you're going to ask me, do I stop and take it in? I, yeah. The Olympics, you betcha. Yeah. <laughs> like you have to, I think you have to, there's, you know, I'm working with some guys there that have worked five, 10 Olympics now. And if you think Olympics every four years, that's quite a while. Yeah. Um, and they're just kind of, they've been there, done that. I have not yet. <laughs> that was my first summer Olympics. So I took a few beats every once in a while and, and took it in. Like I shot all the medal ceremonies at track and field. Um, and really my primary responsibility was the Americans at, at medals. So if there was a medal ceremony that there wasn't an American, the OBS speed took care of it. And I really didn't have to do that much. So I would stand there and wait for the next medal ceremony, but I'd be watching, you know, eight, nine, 10 feet away from these athletes receiving their medals. And it's the culmination of their life's work, <laughs> you know? So I'm, yeah, you betcha. I'm sitting there like, it is remarkable to be in this spot right now. I'm and to see, that, and, to, and just to see what they do. Like, I mean, you, yeah. you've been close to pro athletes. You've been close to football players and hockey players. And when you get, and I only speak from my experience being a sideline guy when I was, and when you can get that kind of access and that close to athletes yeah. at, at that level, you get to appreciate them more than the average spectator. Right. I mean, so I guess my question is for you, like, oh, for are, sure. are you blown away by, how fast the sprinters and the hurdlers are and how strong the shot putters are. I mean, it's just got to be mind blowing to see how incredible these people are at their craft. I saw someone, I saw someone make a great point on Facebook at some point. They said uh, uh, it would be great if we could see in every track event, for example, or swimming, even swimming would be amazing because I'm awful at speed swimming. Same. Put, put in, just reserve a lane for a normal human being. <laughs> Put a normal human being in lane one and then race. <laughs> right. <laughs> you would like some perspective. Right. There you go. That's, that and, is, you know, like I can picture that in track too, for sure. Or, you know, I would never do that to somebody in pole vault, but, but, you know, you, you, you sometimes they, they'll compare a race against a race and you see it shattered over each other. Just imagine that with a normal human being, you know, mm -hmm. and then that puts it in perspective and yeah, but being there live, watching them fly by you. Um, even though, even the distance races, like I look at them, I'm like, they're on lap. What? Right. <laughs> and they're running that fast. Right. Yeah. Are they crazy? Yeah. You know? So it's, it's remarkable. And they put it and, and they collapse at the end. Like they, they've given everything they've had. So yeah. uh, it's pretty amazing. And it really is. But even the heats, like, you know, some of the really elite athletes where they kind of coast in at the end of the heat, I'm like, your coasting is way faster. <laughs> Right. that would be going right now right so yeah uh that, so at the olympics you did a lot of different things right you, you mentioned tripods you did a uh like a standard camera but you also did some yeah. handheld stuff right obviously rf yeah it's a wireless wireless system i had on my shoulder um that was most of what i did was the wireless stuff on the field yeah. um uh, and I worked with several other wireless guys for OBS, but like opening and closing ceremonies, uh, there were two of them, like opening ceremonies, 208, I think it was 206, 208 countries, uh, on parading. So that takes a while. And that's a long time to have that thing on your shoulder. Yep. How much does uh, that so weigh by the way for us, people that don't know? It's about 35, 40 pounds. Okay. Um, give or take, I have more probably like 35, but, um, you know, Right. So, so imagine, imagine having uh what, a, a three or four year old kid on your shoulder for three hours. Right. I mean, yeah. Right? Yeah. So we rotate in and out every 20 countries or so he and I would, would kind of rotate in because they didn't need both of us during that parade. Cause they had 14,000 other cameras. We were the first camera as the athletes marched in from the tunnel. 
uh, were the first low look there. Uh, so we would give him that shot and then he'd move on to two or three, four other shots while they're talking about that country and we'd stage the next shot. Uh, but every 20 countries, we'd flip in and out. And then once the U.S. came out, because they were third from last, um, once the U.S. came out, we just tracked them all over the field and they would scatter all over the place. So there were four of us actually that worked with the U.S. athletes in opening ceremonies and then two of us at closing, um, which was really cool. At closing, I ended up getting one shot with uh, uh, Haley Washington from the U.S. women's volleyball team. They had just won the gold medal that day like three or four hours ahead of closing ceremonies and, you know, closing ceremonies, a lot of athletes have already gone home, but that women's volleyball team was still there and they had never won gold before. Uh, and they, they came in and, and Ash, uh, Ashley was on the field sitting. I turned around, she was just sitting there by herself crying. So I just got down. I didn't get, you know, too close, but I got down close enough where we just took in that moment and she's just there with her medal. And then one of her teammates comes in and gives her a hug and, it was about 45, 50 seconds, felt like an eternity on television, uh, but it was just a really cool moment. And Tara Lipinski actually was doing the commentary for it. She said she was fighting off the tears while she was looking at it. And I was too, as a camera guy, you get, you do get emotionally involved in some of this stuff too, you know? Because uh, what rolls through my mind in that moment is she's sitting there looking at her gold medal. I'm sitting here capturing it. Her family isn't even here able to do this with her. And I've never experienced this before. What a moment. And my eyes start tearing up and I got to be able to see through the viewfinder, right. you know, clearly. So um, you get wrapped up in some of this stuff sometimes. Uh, even NBC hockey, like uh, doing the um, playoffs this year is our last year at NBC. So you realize some of these guys you may not work hockey with again. Um, hopefully we will down the road. But, um, you know, moments like that, you're, you're a human being too. You're not just a robot running a camera and it's got to be kind of weird wow. for you too i mean again this is only your second olympics but in terms of opening and closing ceremonies obviously we at home are seeing this magnificent production where you have no clue what it looks like right i mean I'm, I'm, I'm i don't and i interestingly enough we have what's called returns and cameras so if i press a button i can see what's happening over program like what you're seeing at home uh but at the olympics we don't have those returns so for three weeks, I'm kind of flying blind a little bit. Like I'm shooting a, a shot and typically we know where that graphic's going on the shot. And I'm just kind of guessing because I don't have that in my, my viewfinder. But what's tough there is just not being able to see the rest of the perspective of the show. So what you're really fo just focused on what's around you. You know, what pictures can I provide? Because as a director, and I put my director hat on for a minute, um, you're sitting in these 53 foot tractor trailers directing these things. NBC actually ships their trucks over to Tokyo on a, on a ship. Wow. <laughs> like literally it's, it's the same truck I work hockey playoffs in. No kidding. Kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, the swimming truck. I, I did the first round of the hockey playoffs in the swimming truck and then they put it on a boat to Tokyo. Wow. Um, but yeah, the director's sitting in there and he's reliant on us as camera, camera operators to provide him the story, to provide him the pictures. He can't see outside of our lens like we can. So I'm constantly scanning and looking for stuff. Uh, but without the perspective of the entire show, like I would typically have on a show, uh, that makes it a little more difficult. But yeah. you do have in your ear, uh, I hear the director, but I also hear the announcers. So that lends a little bit of perspective. Like I can hear what they're talking about. So the goal is to provide that shot before the director even asks for it. 
right? If you know where the, your announcers are going and it's live, um, if the director doesn't have to spit out the direction and just sees it and takes it, it saves all that time and it's right there when they need it. So you, you're listening to the announcers as much as you are the directors. I was going to say, so anticipation obviously is a big word for you and you have to all the time. And in yeah. my little tiny TV experience knows that a lot of times what will happen is, and especially in, in, in games like when it's, you know, two teams playing, the director or producer will say to you, hey, Matt, go find fill in the blank person, right? Where we're going to talk about so-and-so right now, go get them. Yeah. So was that the case for you in the opening ceremonies? Were they like, hey, go get, you know, find Simone Biles, find Kevin Durant. I mean, was that, was that kind was, of stuff going on? And with masks, it probably made it me a little yeah, bit more so difficult. They, they recognized early. They said, we're, we know we're going to have a hard time picking them out. But the masks had their names on them, the way, the way they designed them, but they were tiny. Yeah. So the guys that are running a hard cameras, you know, up top with the 100 by lenses, we're doing their best to, to, to pick them off. But even they would, you know, it was, they were kind of hard to read. Yeah. So we'd, we'd be looking around our camera, look, you know, look, but they scatter when they get on the field. Yeah. So good luck, you know? So really we're just at that point as best we can hunting down the best reactions. Sometimes it's not even about the athletes as much as it is what kind of reaction you get out of them. So, so you mentioned um, doing swimming. I got to tell you, man, watching, and listening to, I mean, obviously the video coverage is terrific, but I thought, you know, Rowdy Gaines and Dan Hicks yeah. and Michael Phelps yeah. were awesome calling yeah. swimming. I mean, they even had that one ISO shot of, of, Rowdy. Uh, of Rowdy Gaines, yeah. which was amazing how animate, you can't see him, you can only hear him, yeah. but to see him ISOed in that, uh, in that one shot and where he's animated, I can't remember what race it was, but was super, super cool. Do you have any interaction uh, with the talent at all when you're when yeah, doing I mean, these we, we eat meals together, you know, uh, they appreciate, they, they, guys like that, um, pros like that make a point of coming around and saying thank you to the rest of the crew. Cause they, they know that they're not calling a darn thing without the pictures or the graphics or the sound or, you know, all those things. So those guys are excellent about that. Dan and Rowdy both, um, uh, the track crew, the same way I've always experienced that with hockey, uh, with NBC. Um, I, th I always think it's interesting to see the play-by-play -play and the analysts work together. Um, you know, we think about RJ here back in Buffalo and, um, you know, those moments where you see him on camera, <laughs> you know, you hear it in his voice, but just to be able to see it and hear it both sometimes. And I think sometimes, you know, those couple times where they had RJ and Razor sitting next to each other, and I, I'm almost more interested in Razor's reaction to RJ <laughs> than I am in RJ's actual reaction to that stuff. But, and, and that's true even with, with other analysts and play-by-play -play, uh, folks, but um, they, you know, the good ones really put a lot into their work and, of course, they're going to get lifted out of their seat like you would as a fan. That's just natural. And if you're not being natural about it, if you just, I think that's been the hardest part during COVID for a lot of, um, you know, having directed a few of the Sabres games last year, uh, filled in a little bit, knowing how those shows were put together with announcers looking into television monitors right in front of them and not in the building. Incredibly difficult, extremely difficult because as a camera, like you can't look around to see what else is happening. You don't have the feel of the crowd, any of that stuff. So I think it's a minor miracle that some of these play-by-play -play and analysts pulled off broadcast during COVID. Um, unfortunately, some of that's going to remain um, because I think some some television outlets have discovered that they can save a couple bucks. Um, but I'm always a proponent of having the, at least the play-by-play, -play, you know, the eyes and ears, the eyes of the cameras, uh, the, the eyes and ears of, of your talent on site. 
um, because it just adds so much more to the show. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, obviously when they're watching monitors of a, of a broadcast, they only have certain angles when you're live, you have the whole building to look at. Right. Yeah. So and now yeah. you're really reliant on me as a camera operator right. <laughs> and I'm a director to show you what they need to show you. Right. Right. We had, right a, when we were in the bubble in Canada um, and that was really the first experiment with this. Right. So we had a, a wide look of the rink and board to end board, you know, board to board. So you just see the ice um, uh, because they were calling games from home, all the regionals uh, and, and several of the NBC announcers. So that was a separate feed, just that. So they could at least see the full sheet of ice alongside what was actually being cut. And so it, you know, it's a different era, obviously, of how to do television. Um, I think we have to get just get used to it, but um, it's a challenge. Yeah, for sure. Matt Gould with us on, uh, on Bull in the Basement. Um, so let's go, let's go away from actually you working in Tokyo and let's get to your experiences of Tokyo. So were you able were there days or hours or minutes where you could actually go spectate at some events? Like, yeah. I worked, I, I worked a lot of hours. Track and field were 15 hour days. Oh, wow. Um, and we'd get a two or three hour break in the afternoon because it was morning and evening sessions. But usually those were take a shower, take a nap. <laughs> um, and we were quarantined technically for the first 14 that we were in country. So it was a soft quarantine we, in, in our hotel, 10 minutes to run a quick errand, but you had to be back or at your venue. But once you got past the 14, we got a card uh, that got us on the Metro and their subway system there, their train system there is absolutely incredible. You eat off the floor and it runs, you know, on time. And my big observation of Tokyo was it was not normal Tokyo because they're dealing with COVID um, masks everywhere. Uh, and not nearly as many people out as you would normally see. It's a, it's a massive city and I expected traffic jams and all that stuff. It just, what was, that stuff was non-existent for the most part because people were being very cautious um, and there were no fans. So uh, for us, I didn't really have an opportunity unless I was working to go to other events. Like maybe you might typically have another Olympics. Um, I wanted to get over to table tennis badly because it was right next to us. I just never got there. And table tennis is freaking cool. That is awesome. <laughs> I, I did watch one of those in my hotel room late at, late at night after we had gotten back, um, and and it was a uh, the Japanese uh, singles uh, female that is kind of a legend in Japan. And I just kind of felt like I was the rest of the country watching along, you know, in being in Japan watching that. Um, so I didn't really get a chance to do that. We did get a, a couple mornings. We went out and checked out the city. A couple late nights. Um, when most everything was shut down. So I'd love to see that city on a normal day. It's an amazing, uh, incredible city, very clean, very big. We got up on the uh, sky, it's called the Sky Tree Tower. It's 500 some odd meters up in the air over the Which city. So what, we got 2,500 feet or something? It's it's bonkers high. Biggest building above in the, the world, clouds. right? Above the clouds. Yeah. I, I, it may be, I don't, I don't know. Um, but it felt like it, <laughs> if it's not. Um, but we got a 360 degree view of the city that way. And it just, you don't see the end of the city almost. It's just everywhere. It's long. It's a, it's a great city. Yeah. Um, so let's move on to some of the other things that you've done. Um, so you, we mentioned the two Olympics. We mentioned you doing a lot of Sabre stuff. And by the way, last call, RJ. Yeah. Let's have a great That's last awesome. season, man. It's my, my first my first gig with the Sabres, um, my first year there on staff with the team. I was on staff with the team for just under nine years. My first year there, I produced uh, the RJ DVD, um, and that was a blast. Like, that guy is a legend, and he makes editing so easy. 
because of his calls. Um, you know, forget live television for a minute. When you're putting a package together, you, 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 of course, you're going to include this, include this, include this. And you just want to hear that as a part of it. And I'll, I'll never, ever forget um, Chris Drury tying it up against the Rangers and then Max winning in overtime, uh, being in the TV truck for that, and our heads hitting the ceiling in the TV truck, listening to him make that call. Um, I think that's one of his more underrated calls, quite frankly. Uh, that jury call uh, was pretty remarkable. So, yeah, pretty amazing. That was a great set of my life, too, was being able to work with him, work around him. Uh, I was there with him and Harry Neal when Harry was with him on the on the broadcast doing color. And I've got lots of Harry Neal stories um, <laughs> going on trips, you know. Um, but, yeah, those being behind the scenes with that crew and Rob Ray and all the stories you hear that you – mostly can't repeat <laughs> are fantastic and those were some fun years too all right well so I'll, I'll delve into your brain and I'll, I'll talk for a second so you can probably pull one out but share one maybe road trip story that you know is something that you could tell about yeah. you know the broadcast team or the crew or rj or harry or razor whatever uh well whatever you're ready no, it's it's no it's no secret that you know um veteran guys like Harry and RJ and Razor, um, you enjoy a couple of pops on the road, right? So, but you, we would take a media bus to Toronto. We wouldn't fly. The team takes a bus. So we took a separate bus and we ended up coming back uh, from Toronto and getting stuck at the Lewiston Queenston Bridge for a little while. And by then, you know, Harry had a couple of pops. And if you know Harry, he's got one liner after one liner after one liner so he goes to the front of the bus and it's, you know, there's eight of us on the bus, grabs the microphone, it's a tour bus, grabs the microphone and just does stand up comedy <laughs> while we're sitting there at the border waiting to get back in the United States. And it was 20 probably solid minutes of just one after another. After It was, it was 50 years of Harry <laughs> all lined up in one. And if you've ever been around Harry, you hear him all the time in little bits and pieces, but to hear the full stand up routine was pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah you wonder if he had been practicing that in events that uh that something like that would happen in you maybe know, in, i i just think it naturally rolls off him especially if he gets a couple cores late in him, right. You know, so. <laughs> right on uh yeah. but so okay sabers obviously you worked at channel two yeah. for a long time and local television uh uh you obviously you mentioned doing nhl you've done nfl as well um, yeah. You did the inauguration of President Biden. You did the funeral of President Bush. Um, I, what am I missing of, of all these incredible? I think as much as much as all that is amazing. Um, probably my last eight or nine years, the best part of my last eight or nine years while, while doing all of that. Uh, part of the reason that I left the Sabres when I left, I was directing and made the decision to leave was my, we have three kids and <laughs> they've been, um, uh, growing into their teenage years and I was you know traveling with the Sabres my last year there I missed every single one of my kids concerts and everything at school so we made a little family decision to get me off that kind of schedule not necessarily off the road but just get, get me on a schedule that I could work a little better uh, so being a part of their lives over the last eight or nine years um, uh, even coaching baseball even ahead of that with my son but my wife and I have directed the Eden High School Musical for the last three or four years, which has led to me being able now, when I've got this own company of mine, when I'm not doing sports stuff, I'm doing a lot of, I do, a, a, I have several clients. One of them is the BPO. So I'm doing uh, what's called their out of the box series where we're taking musicians around major landmarks in Western New York. 
work and shooting them there. It's really, really, really cool. Um, and I've done some projects with WNED, the PBS station here. We're actually working on one now. Uh, we're going to be for television doing a, an entire live opera in their studio at, wow. at WNED. And I've been asked to produce and direct that. So I was at a rehearsal, three hour rehearsal yesterday, kind of rolling through what that's going to look like for television in their studio. We're going to have a 20 piece orchestra and a full opera in their studio. So um, it's not just sports, like that, that music side of me, my wife is a music teacher in Hamburg. Uh, I really thought about being a music major in college. So that side of me is kind of coming back to life now. Uh, I've had some of those opportunities and I've really, really enjoyed it. And then, you know, directing the Eden musical with our kids. Um, our son won, a, won the regional award, the Jimmy Award for best actor in Western New York this past year in high school and is off to college now and just got cast late last night in his first show in college. And being a part of all that has been just as important, honestly. And I wouldn't trade any of that. I, I've given up a lot of directing in television to be able to do that, but still had, as you listen, I've had some great experiences, so no complaints whatsoever. Yeah. Um, and I've enjoyed every minute of it. So uh, our last is a senior in high school this year. So one more year of that. And then who knows, I might get more into the directing chair later um, in sports if I have those opportunities arise. But in the meantime, I've really enjoyed the kinds of opportunities I've gotten to do my own thing kind of on my own schedule. Uh, I'm venturing into golf next week. No kidding. Too. Like I've been asked to the director of, um, as I mentioned, the director of closing ceremonies also directs NBC golf. So NBC has the PGA tour championship. He's asked me to go there for the tour championship on Labor Day weekend. So that'll be, he asked, he asked me, can you follow a golf ball? I'm like, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> you know, because I, that's a different kind of challenge than a hockey puck. You know, that little white thing, 250 yards away in the air with a 100 by lens. We'll right. But I, I'm just going there as camera relief and I'm going to learn on the fly a little bit. So it's just another example of a new opportunity um, built on a relationship. And yeah. I'm kind of looking forward to that. That's amazing. Cause that was actually a question I had for you. If you knew yeah. the answer to how do these guys follow a golf ball and no do it idea. as well as they do? Is it just, I'm, I'm going to find out. <laughs> I actually, I, I do know a little bit, like a lot of guys will reverse, um, their lens so the golf ball appears as a dark ball on a you know it's kind of like re reversing the polarization of, of of things but i'm going to see how they set up their cameras i haven't done a lot of it quite frankly and i'm going in there as camera relief so if a guy needs needs a break over four days i'm going to fill in which in, in some ways makes it a little more difficult because it's not my camera setup yeah <laughs> so i've got to get used to their camera setup but uh, I'm gonna learn a lot over those over that weekend. I'm sure, um, and I'm thankful for that opportunity. Um, it's gonna be different. You're uh, not, but you're, I'll, I'll be able to answer that question better in another week or two. Um, you're not afraid of heights. No, okay, actually, when I did the inauguration, um, I was 75 feet in the air over Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't oh know wow! Yeah, right over right over Pennsylvania. So if you're looking at the White House and Blair House is you know kind of where the next president is coming out. I'm I'm that swing camera that can shoot both up on a lift over Pennsylvania Avenue. So, uh, yeah, and it was like actually a lift they use at NBC at, at golf. Same right. kind of lift. It's yeah. got a, the the top of the lift rotates 360 degrees, and I, I had a beautiful view of Washington Monument and the White House and all the fireworks at the end. It was really cool. But uh, no, I've I've learned in this business to not be afraid of heights. Yeah. Um, and that, so yesterday my, my wife and I watched a Netflix special called the Dawn wall 
which is basically about these guys that free climbed the face of El Capitan. It had never happened. Yeah, they're before. crazy. And, and so there they had photographers that weren't technically climbing. They were basically right. repelled ropes wise, hanging 1500 feet up in the air with all these incredible shots. That's not something you'd be interested in doing or. No, no. adventure photographer in videography is a whole different business. <laughs> I think it takes a special, special kind of something to, to, yeah. And now you've got the advantage now of little tiny little cameras you can put everywhere, right? You can put them on the ends of sticks. You can put them on drones. I think drones have saved a lot of lives, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right? Cause you can get some, get some great shots and not risk your own personal health. But yeah. um, uh, it's the technology now is amazing. What you can do with, with, with shows that even, you know, on some of the big stuff that I work, they're starting to incorporate some of that smaller technology. It's like one of those things you, you have to get over yourself a little bit. Like the camera's not big. No, the camera's not big, but it's still is amazing. Yeah. So <laughs> it doesn't need to be big to be great. Yeah. So, yeah. Let me circle back to the Olympics real quick. So are the Americans, the team to be, I mean, is everyone just shooting for the Americans or no? I mean, like, what's the, do you, do you get, did you get that kind of vibe? Is that what, or, or were you not close enough really to the athletes to really know? Say that. So, so as so every country in the world, all yeah. I want to do is beat the Americans, right? I mean, aside from winning gold. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah. I, I, I think there's definitely a stigma there. Yeah. Um, but I watched a lot of um, respect too. Like, not just from the Americans, but from other countries to the Americans, because they recognize that there's a long history there of greatness. Um, but there's a long history of greatness with a lot of countries in, in these sports. So there's a mutual respect there, no question. But I think there's kind of naturally, and maybe that's just us being a little biased, that, that there's naturally a target on our backs as, as Americans. But um, but I think it's a good kind of target. It's a competitive target, yeah. right? It's not, it, and it's it's one built on respect mostly. Uh, I think the I think what I saw with the Olympics, and I think you just saw it with Shakari Richardson at at the Prefontaine Classic this weekend, um, the the BA baracuses of the situation, the bad attitudes, they stick out um, in a sea of people that are really there and about the competition, not just about themselves. So I saw a lot of really, really, really good things, and I think the headlines tend to focus on the two or three obnoxious things that happen. Like if I see one more interview with Shikari Richardson, I can probably pass because um, she hasn't earned it. I don't think she's earned it at this point. She placed, placed ninth yeah. against Olympians um, and she needs to stop talking for a while, <laughs> you know? So, I, but, but, I, but I think that's rare. I, I really do. I think for the most part, you see some amazing personalities and people that genuinely care. And if you, when you go to closing ceremonies, you see a lot of that on the field. You see you know, countries taking pictures for each other, with each other, requesting photos with, with different things. And there's a camaraderie there that you're all Olympians that is not just a thing. It's not just something you, you know, an ethereal thing you dream about or you say about. I, I witnessed it and it's it's real. Um, I think some of that competition is natural too. Uh, but I think most people that go to the Olympics respect that it's not a political place. It's not a place you need to bring all the crap with you you're in your own little bubble a little bit in the olympics and it should be treated that way so i have i, I do have respect for that now that said i think there's plenty of politics in the olympics too yeah um with how some things get done but overall uh i came out of there 
happier about people than I went in. That's a, that's a, that's a great, maybe the best takeaway you could have had. Um, because you know, you could have taken away how great Tokyo was or how great the food was or whatever, but the fact that you recognize this sort of humanity of it all. I think the truth, honestly, is we watch the Olympics for the people. We don't watch the Olympics for the competition, for the, for the, for the actual sport for the most part, because most of us don't know anything about most of these sports. That's right. So you watch how the Olympics are covered. They're, they're covered based on people. And we hear it in our camera meetings. This is about people. These are people stories. Yeah. <laughs> and they're great athletes. And what they're doing is remarkable. But their backstory is just as good, if not better. And um, I love the fact that the Olympics are, and the coverage of the Olympics is based on that, essentially. You can get a lot out of that, I think. But it actually, you want to learn more about the sport that way, too. Yeah, for sure. Because there's lots of those sports that I don't begin to understand. Um, But I know are fun to watch, like badminton. (laughs) Badminton was awesome (laughs) to watch. You're right. Oh, my gosh. You're 100%. amazing. And we all can play badminton, just not well. No, we all can't play badminton. (laughs) uh, But, uh, you know, there's stories even behind those players. Like, you know, watching that table tennis with the the Japanese athlete, like her backstory is, is awesome. And I sat there with their country watching that. It was pretty neat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So talk a little bit very quickly and and we'll, we'll wrap up here in a second, but like, I know one for what you do in terms of technology an interesting sort of breakthrough that I think happened maybe last year was the first season that we noticed it. Is is it called the 4k cam? Is that right? With, with football where it looks like you're watching a video game is, 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 am I right with that? You know what I'm talking about? I, I, yeah, I don't know that much about it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know that much about it. I know there's a ton of technology coming in that they're going to experiment with, but you see that a lot in television. And it's, should be, I think um, like I've been critical in the past of how hockey gets covered um, because the game camera drives me crazy. I mean, think about, I, I, I watched my kids play hockey on, you know, NHL 2K, whatever. What's the main perspective. It's not the game camera. It's over the ice. Right. So uh, part of the problem you have there is a scoreboard that hangs from the ceiling. I get that. That's not in the video game. Okay. But I think there's ways you can get over the ice more in hockey uh, with how the game's covered, but you have many people that sit back and are traditionalists. So I'm used to seeing it from this angle and I, I'm too disrupted if it goes well, bull crap, you know, welcome to 2021 now. And I think if hockey's going to get, take a next step in television, they need to do a lot of things. Uh, maybe provide a little more time after a goal to tell the story of the goal and show some celebration instead of dropping a puck right away. Uh, but that's been a long argument in hockey and is probably not going to change until a new group of people come in. You look at the NBA, a new group of people have come in and that sport has flourished over the last five, six, seven, eight years. I'm not a big NBA fan, um, but they figured it out. And the NHL needs to do the same. And technology is going to be a part of that but I'm always, here's my thing on technology. I'm always the why of it rather than, oh, that looks really cool. Because the, oh, that looks really cool goes away really quick. Think about 3D. 3D was a hot ticket 10 years ago. They were building 3D trucks. It was big time with golf. They wanted to turn golf into a 3D event. How's that going? Because it was just cool technology and it wasn't something that was enhancing overall your experience. So if you find technology that's going to enhance the experience, I'm in. That's going to take some experimentation. Some things will fail. I'm in for that too. Uh, but well, let's talk about the why of it. 
and and go from there. I don't know that much about the four the four K virtual thing. I think virtual is going to be a thing. I think that's going to be way more a thing than three D ever was, because especially now where you do or don't have fans places, <laughs> right? So I think if you can bring a fan to a sport and make them feel like they're there more than you can right now, I think that will probably be a big focus because that's where your dollars are. Yeah, your dollars aren't aren't necessarily any any other place than that. How how can you get people engaged, right? And having sat in meetings about how these sports get funded, um, you know, we're talking about ads on jerseys now and everything. It's always been about action. In hockey, they call it over the ice. So any ads you can get during action. Those 30-second spots don't mean that much because you're going to the fridge during those spots. They want overaction. That's why we used to see the lawyers pop up on the screen on the Sabres broadcast <laughs> annoyingly more than once in a game. Um, but that's why you see ads on the ice. That's why you see that virtual stuff on the ice now. That's why you see ads on the jerseys. That's why it's all about over the ice. So as this technology comes, it's going to be about that too. Where can you pop in ads uh, while the action's going? Yeah, it's so, it's so crazy watching a hockey game and seeing a, a fill-in-the-blank logo at the blue line yeah. one minute and then it's gone and it's another one like how yeah. did they re, how did they repaint that with a new logo yeah well, clearly they didn't they, they found it's, a way to it's all virtual yeah technically superimposed really got it, yeah. going and that superimposed logos on the ice really got going as a result of covid they brought a lot of that stuff in because they had to make up revenue yeah so yep. that's not going away it's just going to get enhanced they, they've had some challenges with it like delays off the game camera uh, we were working with a 15 frame delay so uh, because of those ads just off that game camera. So you'd see somebody, if you didn't cut it right, you'd see somebody shoot and then you'd see somebody shoot again on the next shot, you know? So, cause 15 frames is a lot, half a second is a ton of time when it comes to that stuff. So um, there's some inherent challenges that they're not gonna get right, right away, but any opportunity they have with technology to make more money will happen. All right, so bottom line, what's a couple of things on your bucket list that you haven't done yet that you'd love to. I mean, obviously you're going to branch into golf in a couple of weeks. That's going to be really exciting for you, I'm sure. But some other things like, do you want to do Broadway, a Broadway production? Like, I, yeah, you know, yeah, that's one of them. That's, that's, yeah. that's one of them. I would love to. I'll tell you what, if you work with Lin-Manuel direct... Miranda, let me know. Because uh, my wife needs to I, meet him. <laughs> I would, I would love to live direct, whether it's a full orchestra concert or, a Broadway musical would be amazing to live direct for television. That would be great. Um, uh, I've been to Super Bowls. I've worked Super Bowls, but I've not worked the Super Bowl broadcast. That would be cool. Uh, I did get to see my Rams win the Super Bowl, though, a number of years ago. Uh, when I was at, actually, it was when I was at Empire Sports Network in the Rams Titans game, and Howard Simon and myself and a couple other guys, Bob Dingwall, I think you may know him. Um, we all were in Atlanta covering it for Empire. So, and my team was there. So I got to go to the game. It was great. Um, but I, but I would love to be a part of the actual live coverage of that game. That would be pretty neat. Um, and I'm kind of a baseball nut. I've not done much baseball, nor do I really want to, because everyone I talk to in baseball says working the television side of it kind of ruins the sport for them because there's no clock, but I, I love baseball. So working a world series would be pretty cool too. But an all-star game would be fun. I mean, that fun. that Field of Dreams game, come on. Oh, I, I, I will maintain, and I told everybody that I talked to after that, that was maybe the best thing MLB's ever done. 
it, I, it's right up there for sure. Yeah. I think it's better than any all-star game. Yep. And uh, Mike, Mike Pigeon is a, is a friend of mine. I do a lot of NBC hockey with, and we were at track and field together in the Olympics. He flew home, landed and drove five hours to Iowa. Cause he does, he's part of the, the Fox major league uh, baseball world series team. So he drove to Iowa. He was on the camera on the right foul pole, the right field foul pole. And they dressed, they dressed the camera guys up all in period gear too. You said he was sharing a couple pictures with us. Um, pretty amazing. And I've been to that field of dreams. I've had a catch with my son on that field. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Which was a pretty neat moment. Let me tell you. Um, did you hear James Earl uh, Jones in your head? I, everything. Yeah. I, I cried while I'm throwing yep. the ball. I did the whole thing. Like, it's just, you know, it's a dead something. Yeah. But, um, but I, and I, I teared up watching this, like they did a very good job of it. They did a very, and it, I'm glad it's going to be back next year. Me too. And Me even too. like last night, the little league world series showcase game. Yeah, they need to be doing more of that kind of stuff. That's great stuff. Yeah, it really is. Well, I think all star games are. I think all star games are uh, because we're all kind of tired of them. Yeah, I think these special events, the Winter Classics, the Field of Dreams. I think the NFL needs to figure out a little bit of this too. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the events that, that that are kind of the gold events now for these major leagues. I think. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah. um, this has been awesome, man, and and congratulations on everything. Your entire career has been mind blowing terms of the things you've got to be part of and experience and bring the world uh, to uh, and you do amazing work. And obviously congratulations on the family and the kids and college Thanks. and Eden drama and all that good stuff, man. Uh, you're, it's, been a, you're... it's been a pretty full life. I'm pretty, pretty thankful for that. I've made plenty of mistakes on the way, but um, I think as long as you're learning from them, you're getting better. So I, I, I've enjoyed it. Well, you're, you're a guy that probably not a lot of people watching this knew of or about, but I'm sure you have made big fans of um, since watching uh, this Bull in the Basement episode. You're, you're awesome to talk to. I appreciate you doing this, and uh, Thanks, good, good luck with golf. I can't wait to hear uh, how everything worked out and if you were able to follow the golf ball. Pray for me. <laughs> All right, buddy. <laughs> yeah, thank, looking thanks. forward to it. Thank you. Thank you, man.